Well, good morning, church. We are so glad you guys are joining us this morning. Thanks for joining us online. We're so glad you guys are here with us this morning. We hope you're having a great morning so far. Uh, we are continuing on in our series, walking through 2 Timothy, uh, and we're calling it this borrowed time. Um, and we all, we all kind of understand that we are on borrowed time. Um, years like 2020 has been and the way 2021 has started, we all understand we are living on borrowed time. And I can remember in college when I had a, a, a friend, a, a guy that I kind of knew pretty decently well, um, just pass away all of a suddenly. And I remember that hitting me really hard and making me think about the fact that t- life is so short and it goes by so quickly. Paul is actually writing this letter to Timothy. And he, he understands that his life is coming to an end. So he's challenging Timothy with several things. He's encouraging him throughout this whole book. But he's also challenging him. And so Pastor Kevin kicks us, kicked us off last week. Challenging us with the, the time that we have on this earth. To live boldly for Christ. And then this morning, as we go into chapter 2, I hope that we can see that we are made for more. Be encouraged and challenged that in the time we have, that we are made for more. Because the creator of the world, God, loved you and me so much. He gave us the most precious, valuable thing there is. He gave us this amazing, incredible gift, right? The creator of the world loved us so much that he would give up himself coming to this world, dying on the cross, paying our debt. So that if we would believe in him, believe what he has done for us and ask him to come in our life, we would be forgiven and offered new life. And through that new life, be given an incredible promise of eternal life. A gift that we don't deserve, right? And he's still offering it to you and to me anyways. That is the most precious thing there is on this planet. And we, if we are truly a follower of Christ, if we have made this decision to follow Jesus with our life, we have that gift. We have the answer what the world is looking for. And in the short time we have in this life, we are made for more because we have been given it. Paul tells Timothy to entrust others with it. In verse 2, he, he challenges him to do that. He tells Timothy, hey, I, 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 like you, I've been entrusted with the gospel. You have been entrusted with the gospel, Timothy. And now trust other faithful people with the same message. It's because it's so valuable, it's so precious. We gotta take care of it. We have been entrusted with this important, this incredible gift. We have to take care of it. For my wife and I, Rachel and I, we are most important, one of the most important parts of our life is our daughter Jada, right? She's two years old now, um, and she has learned know in every, it feels like every language in the world, and she just is, she tries us, but it, she's an incredible blessing, right? 
An incredible blessing for our life. And I remember right after she was born and I had to go back to work. And, and I felt kind of bad because I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm helping, assisting. I can't really say I was doing a whole bunch because I had no clue what I was doing. And I'm trying to take care of her. And now I'm going back to work and I'm just like, all right, Rachel, I'm, I'm trusting you, which I felt very confident to do because she's a great mom. And I'm, I'm trusting her because I know she loves her and she cares about Jada, that she's going she's gonna to take care of her. It's going to be okay. Everything will be all right. Then Rachel had to go back to work. She works up in Toledo Lucas Library. She's part-time up there. Um, and when she had headed back to work, I remember it being super difficult on her. Right? She, she's been spending this all this time with this little baby, taking care of, of this baby. And, and now she's got to trust someone else with the most precious part of our life. It was difficult. What made it easier is we were handing her to family. We knew they loved her and they cared about her. And then the first time we, we left and didn't have Jada for a night, let her go stay with her grandparents. And Rachel and I headed on a date night to Cleveland. I remember that being really weird. Strange and awkward because it was the first night I haven't been woken up by a little baby or um, having to go check on her or somebody having to wake up. And we're trusting somebody else, her grandparents, maybe again easier because we knew they loved her, cared about her. But we were trusting someone to take care of the most precious part of who we are. And what made it easier is the fact that we knew. They would take care of her and do a good job of that. See, you and I, the same message that Paul is telling Timothy that, hey, trust this to other faithful people. You and I have been trusted with that same message if we have made that decision to follow Jesus with our life. And we have a job to take care of it. I think as we go through the rest of this second chapter here, I think we can see a few things helps us to take care of the gospel. And it starts out, and Paul actually lists in this chapter five different metaphors of the Christian life. And he starts with the first three. In verse three, starting there, suffer hardship with me, he says. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him. And if someone likewise competes as an athlete, he is not crowned as a victor unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. I don't know if you caught maybe what he's saying. How, what's, how do we start trusting? How do we start taking care of the gospel? We, we value it. We value the gospel. We put, take, make the, our priorities in our life. We value the gospel over everything else in our life. We change our priorities like a good soldier. Did you catch what he says about the soldier? As a soldier suffers through hardship, battles, through the most difficult times maybe in life, 
as a good soldier, they're so fixed on what the commander wants them to do, what the commander is calling them to do, what the commander, what's the, the mission the commander has set out for the soldier, that they're going to not get like, entangled, they're not going to get tripped up or slowed down on their mission by just civilian affairs. They want to obey the commander. As a, Christ, a Christian... What should we do? How do we value the gospel in our life? We make sure that we are not having things slowing us down or getting in the way from us being fixed on our commander, on Jesus. That could be sin. That also could be good things in our life. Things that aren't necessarily wrong, but we have the priorities all wrong. Then he goes on, he's like, and, and like an athlete who competes by the rules. Why do they compete by the rules? Because they, they want to see the prize. They want to earn, they want to get to the point where they're at the, the winning, they're getting the trophy. At the end of the game, you know, I, I think I probably, I, for me, I, I look at these Three and the athlete one is the one I kind of relate to the most. But athlete, what what are they going to do as they compete? They're going to push through difficult moments in their in their the game, or as they're trying, they're going to put in in time to becoming better at their at whatever game they're playing. Right? They're going to try to get better. They have dedication. I think about Justin Fields getting hit, right? Well, he gets hit, and then he comes back into the game, and he throws that touchdown to Olave, and was like, yes, felt so good for a moment. And then I saw him like, like I don't even know, just very barely getting off the field, and, and I'm like, there's no way he's going to play another snap. This guy's done. Thanks for getting us the touchdown getting us 14 ahead of Clemson, appreciate it. Go sit, man, you look terrible, we're gonna need you. But he wants to compete, right? Because he sees the prize at the end as worth it. As Christ follows of Christ, we see the prize of being Jesus as worth all the troubles, all the hardship that we may go through in this life. So we endure those things, competing, not wanting to spectate, we compete. And we're like a hardworking farmer, putting ourselves in the best situations to enjoy the fruits of our labor. Then Paul goes on, he says, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. He starts out going, okay, all right, think about what I just said. Think about the, the soldier Think about uh, an athlete. Think about a farmer. Do we value the gospel so much that we will reprioritize things in our life, even though it might be difficult? We want to be so fixed on Jesus that we will move things out of our way, out of our life maybe, because we want to be so fixed on Jesus. We don't want anything entangling us. 
that we will persevere through the difficult moments because we see the prize at the end. Jesus being worth it. And we're going to put ourselves in the best situations to succeed. Do we value the gospel like that? And then Paul, he's like, okay, remember what Jesus has done for you. If you're, if you're saying, I, 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 man, I don't want to change some things in my life. I, I don't want to, I don't know about some of the difficult things that could maybe go in my life, come up. Paul gives us the, the gospel once again. Remember Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, that he has died for us, offered us new life and eternal life. Remember that he's risen from the dead, that death couldn't defeat him, death couldn't conquer him. That he's the descendant of David. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And then he ends according to my gospel. He's saying, again, reminding us, this is the gospel that he was entrusted with, that Timothy now has been entrusted with, and Timothy's been charged with saying, pass this on and trust others with this as well. And you and I have been entrusted with that same message. That's why it's so important to value it. And it's not just valuing, valuing the gospel. It's also guarding the gospel. And there's a few aspects of guarding the gospel. The first is in the fourth metaphor that Paul brings up in this chapter is a hard worker. Look at verse 14. It says, remind them of these things. And solemnly, solemnly, Exhort them in the presence of God not to dispute about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of listeners. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Remind them, remind who? Remind the church of Ephesus, remind us. To pass on God's truth. Pass it on. Keep it at the center. He, he brings up this, this term of presence of God. Every, a lot of times in Scripture, that, that's an encouragement. To understand that the presence of God is there. But Paul, here, the presence of God is to ha- help us have a healthy fear, healthy allness, amazement of God. So that we are diligent to bring, make ourselves approved by God, bringing ourselves to be a hard worker or a, craft, a skilled craftsman. Why? Because we want to accurately handle the word of truth. This skilled craftsman, this hard worker, it's kind of like the imagery of someone trying to pave, put down a road paid down a road in a tough terrain. So it's difficult, but someone who's really skilled at their crafts, even though the terrain is difficult, they're going to pay down a straight path so that it's easy to follow and so that people aren't going all over the place. So Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, become like a skilled craftsman. Being able to cut straight the word of God so people aren't going all over the place. Don't allow our culture, don't allow what others might think of God's truth, change God's truth, 
cut God's truth straight. Be accurately handling the word of truth. Make sure you're guarding that. So there was two aspects of guarding. The first was being a hard worker. The second, Paul starts telling us in verse 16, where he says, But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, claiming that the resurrection has already taken place, and they are jeopardizing the faith of some. He starts this out and say, telling us, hey, what we, the second part of guarding is there's, some, there's people who are left the truth, gone astray from the truth. They have veered off the path, a straight and narrow path, and they are starting to teach things that are no longer true, are no longer found in God's word. Paul's like, hey, guess what? You call them out. Hymenaeus and Philetus, there's a lot of speculation what people maybe think they were teaching at that moment in time. But the point is, they have, Paul's saying they've gone astray. They've, they've moved away from the truth. They are now, they are distorting truths about the resurrection. Hurting the faith, jeopardizing the faith. And then Paul uses the imagery of gangrene, a a, a terrible battle injury, right? Because if it's not dealt with quickly and rapidly, if it's not dealt with carefully, it will spread. And you can lose, you you can risk the, the, maybe you have to have amputation or it can also lead to death. If it's not dealt with. So Paul's like, hey, this is dangerous, what's happening. What's happening in the church at that point in time in Ephesus, and so what's happening a lot of times in our culture, is because when we come to God's truth, it, can, it, it offends us. And people want to then move astray from it. They want to veer off the path. They want to take the parts they like about God, and then they want to push away the parts they, did, they don't like about God. So they veer off the path. Paul's saying if someone is teaching that, if someone is trying to lead others astray, we call that out as followers of Christ. We guard God's truth. And Hymenaeus and Philetus, the reason he's calling them out is because of what they're doing. Paul also mentions to the church of Corinth, and if Christ has not been raised and our preaching is in vain, your faith also is in vain. He's saying it's worthless. So what they're teaching, what they're bringing, what they're trying to encourage people to move towards at that time is something Paul says is worthless. It's meaningless. It's dangerous. It is a, it's, they're trying to convince people, hey, this is the way. They're distorting truths about the, the resurrection. And because of that, they're distorting truths about the gospel. And when we just change God's truth to whatever we want it to be, it is no longer true. And when we do that with things like the gospel, we are left with something that can no longer save us.
And when we are on borrowed time, it is so important to get this message right. That's why Paul is saying, I am not having mercy here. I'm calling it out. That's not true. Because it's not what God's word says. We are called to guard like a, a skilled craftsman, being able to cut straight the word of truth. Being able to accurately handle God's word. And I know it goes completely maybe against what our culture might say that we should do. It's not loving. You can't call someone out. I'm not saying you just call out everybody. And I'm not saying you just, you're a jerk in the way you call someone out. But Paul's saying it's okay when someone is teaching something that is no longer true, is not what God's word says. You know what the important thing is? To understand that when someone has gone astray, we have to know God's word. We have to know his truth. That's why John tells us to test the spirits, right, to make sure that they are from God. But when someone leaves the truth and they're taking it, twisting it, and they're teaching something that is false, it's dangerous. It's like gangrene, Paul's saying. And if it's not dealt with quickly and carefully, it will continue to spread. And it will continue to lead others away from something that is true, saving grace. So Paul's like, guard the gospel. And then he, he goes into verse 19 to encourage us. Where he says, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. This is great news. The firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to keep away from wickedness. There's two promises there. One, God's foundation, it stands. Nevertheless, no matter what's going on in our world, no matter what's going on around us, God's foundation, it stands. That's great. Second promise. God knows who are his. And there's nothing that can change that. So if you are his, then he says, then run away, stay away from wickedness. So we, we, it, it's obvious, we, we, should, we should run away from sin and we should flee those things, right? But it's also, how do we guard the gospel? Is that we are not taking in in our own lives a message that's not God's. If someone's saying they're a Christian, but they're, trying to, they're, they're wanting to change what, a, a sin, and no longer call sin, sin. And they're wanting to change truths about heaven and hell, about salvation. We call that out. With truth and love. But this message is too important. It's too precious. It's too valuable to get wrong. 
So we do that in the hopes of calling, hopes of bringing them back into a, a right relationship with God, telling them, showing them how they can have a right relationship with God. But it's also to hope that we, we're hoping to keep others from falling, a path to destruction, a path that is not God's truth for our lives. So in what we have been entrusted with, with the gospel, we value it over everything in our life. We also guard it, and we also then live it out in our life. Look what he says next, and here's the fifth metaphor he uses. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver implements, or other translations use their vessels or dishes, but also implements of wood and of earthware. And some are for honor, while others are for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be an implement for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. You know, we we all kind of understand this, right? There's honorable things in our house, and there's dishonorable things in our house. Like, um... When somebody's coming over to your house, you don't send them straight to your teenager's room, right? Because you fully understand that room is dishonorable. Or they, you, your teenager comes up to you and says, hey, can my friend Susie, Bobby, whatever their, their name is, can they come over? You go, well, go clean your room, right? Why? Because you want, you want this dishonorable place in your house to become honorable so that someone could come in and they get, wow, this room is cleaned. It's taken care of. As a follower of Christ, as a Christian, how do we live out the gospel in our life? We cleanse ourselves so that we become honorable. There's honorable there's, we can be honorable and be useful to God, and there's, a, there's people, who, they don't want to be used by God. And their life is dishonorable to God. And Paul's saying, hey, cleanse yourself. Become, become like when your teenager comes over, you say, hey, my, can my friend come over? Cleanse yourself of the dishonorable. Things that are got, we have in our life, cleanse ourselves so that we can be useful to God, ready to be used by God for every good work. Then Paul goes on to describe how we can be used by God. He starts in verse 22, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, pursue faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, skillful in teaching, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, and if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. We start living out being honorable. When we cleanse ourselves, when we flee from maybe sin, 
in our life and we start to pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, we, we get out of the foolish, ignorant speculations, the conversations that don't go anywhere, because we are on borrowed time, so we want to stick to what truly matters. Because the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be skillful in the word, in teaching, in the word, patient when we're wronged. With gentleness, being able to correct those, call those out who are, have gone astray. Because we're hoping that they, we can lead them back into a right relation. We can hope to lead them to repentance. Because they are caught in a snare of the devil, being held captive by him to do his will. So we turn and we start to work on ourselves. As someone who's a follower of Christ, we work on ourselves because we understand we are meant for more. And with this important message that you and I have been given, we value it. We, we take care of this message. And if we have to get rid of some things in our life to make sure that it is in the right position in our life, then so be it. And we guard it. Making sure that we are getting to know God's word, God's truth for our lives. And we live it out, cleansing ourselves of all unrighteousness so that we can be useful to God and be used by Him. Someone is here, you're, maybe you're saying, hey, I, I've never come to that point of trusting in Jesus. Never have made that decision to follow him. Can I tell you something? You are made for more because you are made to know the creator of the world. And he wants and desires a relationship with you. He loves you so much that he would die for you. And as simple as trusting in him is as simple as the ABC. Admit that you're a sinner, you're broken, that you need him as a savior. Believe that he's died on the cross for your sins. Ask him for forgiveness there. And confess that you want him to become Lord over your life, the ruler over your life. The Bible tells us he comes in our life, makes us new, promises us at that moment of eternal life. There's nothing you have to do to earn that love. All you have to do is receive it. But for us in this room that we have made that decision, as we close in just a second, um, singing the song we, we sang earlier in the service, Living Hope. Use that song, use this time as we close, as a time just to reflect, remind ourselves. Remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. Remind ourselves of how good he is to us, no matter what might be going around us. And maybe it's a time where we might have to start working on ourselves. We might need to cleanse up on some areas in our, in our life. So don't leave grace this morning. Don't leave this morning without getting right with God. We are on borrowed time. 
And God has given you and me the most important thing there, there is. The answer, the gift of eternity. So use the time that God has given us to live boldly, to live and value the gospel. Guard it and live it out in your life. If you guys would, stand with me. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come this morning. Lord, to worship you. Lord, to spend time in your word. Lord, help us this morning understand that you have created us for more. This short life that we might have and that we all have. Lord, help us to live unashamed of what you have done for us and help that change every aspect of our life. Lord, if we, if we have sin or something distracting us from you, help us hand that stuff over this morning. Thank you for everything you've done for us. We love you. We praise you. In your name, amen.